Well, thank you, Marcus. Appreciate you leading us so far. It's been good. Sometimes it's good just to sing. Remember, he loves us. And uh, indeed, he does love us. Um, we're going to pray here as we come to God's word. Um, again, we want to thank, uh, thank the Lord for his goodness as we think about Thanksgiving. He's certainly given us a lot to be thankful for, a lot to appreciate uh, in the midst of a difficult year. Um, God's promises are true for us in Christ, uh, and He loves us. Um, so let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your goodness, goodness that is uh, more than we can fathom. If we read that chapter 8 of Romans, um, we should be overwhelmed with the truth of Your goodness for us, despite our sin, despite our failings, despite our fickleness and turning you are relentless to pursue us, to come after us with the message of grace and goodness that in Jesus it is finished for us. Lord, we thank you for the truth of the gospel. We thank you for the blessings that you've given us around us, for our health, for the opportunity to gather, to assemble, to the freedom we have for friends and family. We, we thank you for Zach and Maddie who got married yesterday. Lord, we thank you for their the blessing of that, Lord, we pray for their marriage, that it would be a glorious picture of Christ, of your love for the church, and the way they love one another. Be with them, Lord. We thank you for, for bringing Chelsea Olson home as she uh, was in the hospital. Lord, and restoring her health, would we pray for continued recovery, for strength and endurance. We pray for others that are sick, whether it's COVID or other ailments, Lord, in our midst. We pray for their recovery. We pray for... Uh, a quick mending of their bodies. We pray for uh, our traveling this week, for those that are seeing family. We pray you would protect us and protect them, particularly the elderly, maybe parents or grandparents. We pray for protection to keep them safe uh, from COVID. But we pray uh, for Caitlin, Kim Baxter's niece. We pray for the, the health issues that young girl is experiencing and Difficulties for her mom and dad and family. We pray for her health and recovery. We pray that she would recover quickly. Pray for traveling mercies for those that do travel. Keep us safe on the roads or wherever we may be. Lord, now we ask that as we gather that you would be with us. You say that you are. And you say that you use your word to bring life and healing to us and conviction to us. And so we ask that that we would step aside and that you would come forward and you would speak to us through the word. That it may penetrate our hearts, whether they're soft and tender and attuned to you tonight or whether they're hardened and cynical. Lord, would you speak to us either way? Meet us and do something uh, that would honor yourself, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are going to uh, continue with Ecclesiastes. We're in chapter 5. We're almost... Uh, Almost halfway, good news. Uh, if you're like me, we're going to take a four-week break for Advent, so we're going to come up for air a little bit uh, and find a, a little uh, life in the expectant hope of Jesus. You may not need that, but I think I do after five weeks of, uh, or more of Ecclesiastes, uh, some expectant hopes. So we'll, we'll push pause, and then we'll pick up in the new year. We have about halfway to go in Ecclesiastes. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, stand uh, one more time. As we read Ecclesiastes 5, uh, verses 1 to 7, 
Solomon the preacher says these words, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are, that they are doing evil. And do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, you do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and works grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one who you must fear. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. You can see here, Proverbs takes on, uh, Ecclesiastes takes on the proverbial nature. It's like little phrase after phrase upon, uh, building upon a theme, and yet these wise sayings. Again, Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes is in the wisdom literature as uh, the way of wisdom is two paths. This path that leads to life, and this path, if you follow it, this trajectory is one that will lead to death. Um, but tonight he's going to talk about uh, church. Uh, church is the, is the people, right? Not the building. I think we've learned that. Um, it's been my experience that in the church has been some of the greatest places and pictures of love and care uh, that I've known. Um, it's in the church where uh, we had our twins that were sickly and we had uh, elders came to our home and prayed uh, for Abigail in her early days. And, uh, people bore uh, our pain and sorrow. Uh, it was with some of you in the two, two plus years ago when my mom died that um, we gathered uh, as an early group uh, not, after, not too long after she died and we sang together and through tears uh, I was comforted by, by you, the church. Um, we sat at potluck dinners and we shared uh, laughter and sorrow and trials but it's been the church that has been a place of delight and blessing and goodness, a place where uh, gifts have been affirmed, encouragement given, um, support. Uh, in churches throughout my life, I've learned to love and to forgive. I've gotten counsel for my own struggles, uh, for parenting, for marriage, for finances, for direction, uh, for job and sense of calling. I've been affirmed, have been loved in the church. The church has been a healing balm, a correcting voice, an encouraging force in many difficult days. I hope you've known something of that goodness of the church, the people of God um, in your life. If you haven't, I hope you know it here in this place. But to be honest, to be fair, uh, we've also got to name the other side. Uh, the church has problems. As much as the church has done good, the church has been one of the places of the greatest places of harm and pain for so many people. Uh, for me, in, in earlier days, it, it was so difficult at church that I thought about uh, quitting. You know, is it worth it? Do I go back there again? Do I risk? Do I trust? Um, there's so much pain among the people of God. Um, maybe you've experienced that. Hearing gospel in the pews, right? Hearing gossip in the pews. 
from people you trust or seeing leadership and seeing uh, abuse of power or moral failures of people you held such high regard and being so not just disappointed but betrayed? Can I trust? These are people leading us. These are people of God and yet seeing the most brokenness there. Experiencing uh, cliques in the church. Experiencing uh, Christian platitudes in the place of honesty and authenticity. Maybe you've been a part of those. I remember my church as a kid watching, uh, before my eyes, one of the pettiest arguments over the color of carpet that turned into a screaming match at our big Baptist church. N- not unique to the Baptists, by the way. Um, or... or, or sc- or ugly fights over budgets and line items and rights to the building. Far less than the picture of God paints for us in Scripture of the church. In fact, that's been one of the main objections uh, by the world is uh, the character or the lack of character in the church, right? Um, You've heard me say it, the famous line by Gandhi, the Hindu guru, I like your Christ. I do not like you Christians. You Christians are so unlike your Christ, right? We can, we can all kind of inside say amen, right? We, we know something of that pain if we're honest. Czeslaw Milos, a, a Polish-American uh, poet, Nobel Prize winner, he once wrote to uh, his Catholic monk friend, Thomas Merton, he said this, that he, resi- he at one time resisted allowing his sons to attend church because he didn't want them to become atheists. The assumption was if he let his kids go to church, they would see the ugliness of the church, and they would disavow the faith, and they would walk away. So he tried to preserve some level of faith by keeping his family from the church. Um, at some level, we have to own and acknowledge that. Um, that's the problem. The church has problems, Solomon speaks. It says in verse 1 of chapter 5, Guard your steps... When you go to the house of God. It's talking about the temple, synagogue. When you go, guard your steps. Be cautious. Be wise. Be on guard. Sobering words, right, to the faithful. What is it about church that requires our caution? I think I put this up there. Uh, Lawan, if you have the clicker, I added these. So there's that verse. Flip to the next one there. Yeah, okay. What about the church requires caution? Um, The basic premise here, and we'll list some specifics, is that the church, that's us, is run muck with fools, Solomon says. (laughs) How do you feel about that? Among us, among the people of God, are fools. I'm going to list out four ways, he says. Four ways, four specific ways that fools are are present among us. He uses that term fool four or five times. First way is that fools, uh, there is a clueless or blind hypocrisy at church. Verse one, for they do not know that they are doing evil. They come into the church and the church people come and we don't even know often that we're doing harm. Sometimes it's in the name of God or it's wearing a... The robe or the garb of God, and yet we're doing great harm and difficulty. Instead of a place of safety, 
to place of harm, even harm uh, with the words of intentions of doing good, to blindness. The church is often clueless or missing. We'll say things naively like, this is for your best interest. Now, sometimes the church has done evil and known it's evil. It's intentional. There's a difference in some ways between the evil one and the fool. Um, there's been gross abuse of power uh, intentionally. I have a friend who was a, a missionary child in, uh, in Chile. And uh, he uh, shared uh, his story about being at the Christian boarding school. And his family would go off for a couple weeks at a time in the hills to share the gospel, to preach. While he and his, his, his brothers and sisters and other Christian kids were at the Christian school for weeks upon end. And there they experienced horrific abuse. Physical, emotional, sexual. Uh, against them. I remember him saying the hardest part was that uh, the, the, the abusers would say, now you can't tell our parents, you can't tell your parents because it would destroy the works of God they're doing as they take the gospel to the to the people. Um, evil in the place of safety. Sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it's, it's planned. It's malicious. But Solomon says sometimes it's uh, blind. They do not know that they are doing evil. We harm. Uh, our neglect, our silence uh, perpetuates harm, brings division, and yet we don't know what we don't know. Solomon says that's among us. We're doing that to one another in ways we don't know. Second uh, ways that fools impact us is that with fools there is a, uh, there is a, they rest on sacrifice, not mercy. They depend upon sacrifice, not mercy. Verse 1 again, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, Etzwine uh, in his commentary says, the sacrifice of fools indicates that those who take part in religious, uh, religious ceremony and observances are often looking to that participation in order to justify themselves as being close to God and good among people. In other words, it's claiming to serve God, to do good things for God in order to boast, to build up the works of God is a badge of honor. Think in the, the story of the prodigal. It's the, the elder brother. Look at all the things I've done in your name. Look at all the ways I've served. Right? We boast in what we've done. We boast in what we do. We focus on our goals or our uh, efforts. And we fail to forget the mercy of God. It says... Uh, Psalm 51, David says this, For you would not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. So it's not how much I do. It's not bringing my offering that you're delighted in. It's not all the good things I do. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God. You will not despise. Fools rest on what they bring to church, what they bring to God. Scripture puts the premium, the focus on our humble heart, our brokenness. Jesus puts it this way in the parable in Luke 18. 
It says this, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, right? They rested on their sacrifice. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I get, right? His sacrifice. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Um, we come often with, a, with an attitude that it's what we bring. It's what we bring that gives us status with one another. It's what we bring that gives us some kind of merit before God. Um, Solomon says we're foolish in that. There's blind hypocrisy. There's a false emphasis on sacrifice, not mercy. And church fools uh, also show themselves by their religious talk. We're good at the God talk kind of stuff. It says, verse 2, Do not be rash with your mouth. In verse 3, and fools, a fool's voice comes with many words. Um, often church people have the problem of the unstoppable mouth. Right? We're quick to give advice. We're quick to know the answers. Uh, we don't like ambiguity. We don't like tension. We don't like not having it fixed. And so we just talk and talk and talk. Our talk turns into God talk, but there's little wisdom. There's no listening ear. We have all the answers, Solomon says, but we don't have a teachable spirit. We're not willing to learn. We have little patience for quiet and for listening. Um, If you ask the world what the church is known for, the church is known for talking. We talk to non-believers. When we grieve, we talk with answers. Uh, When people have doubts, we talk to try to persuade them otherwise, but what we're not often known for is listening. We're not known for being quiet and lending an ear. It says we're to draw near to listen. But listening requires patience. But we utter hasty words before God, it says. This is what the people of God do, Solomon says. When we go to church, this is what you're going to find. Jesus affirms our use of words when he says this in Matthew 6. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask them. The Gentiles think, and maybe we think, you ever had this in prayer? You're nagged by a sin and your guilt, and so you just pray over and over. You're just saying it over. You're thinking it's like, you get the right words. It's like some kind of incantation. And if you get it just right, maybe it'll be forgiven. You think the longer prayer is the better prayer? We multiply words because we don't learn what it means to be quiet before the Lord and to listen. He goes on to speak about this idea of dreams. It's, it's, uh, it's the idea that the mouth is busy and the mind is busy too. In verse 7 he says, When dreams increase and your words grow many, there is vanity. Here dreams is is not a good thing. It's 
One commentator says that the fool talks, as the fool talks, so the business of the fool leads to dreams. In other words, the, the fool can't shut off his mouth or his mind. He's just constantly frantic. He's going, he's busy, he's thinking, he's, he's planning. But there's not a man that's learned humility, that's learned to be quiet, that's learned to be reflexive, that's learned to be patient, that's learned to be still before the Lord. That's us. We, we, we're good at God talk, Solomon says. Foolishness. The fourth one, uh, fourth and last uh, way, Solomon says, is that uh, the foolish in church hasty to make promises and vows. Verse 4, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. Again, it's the problem of the mouth. Um, often in the church, we're well-intentioned. We don't like to see people disappointed. So we make promises. We make vows. We make commitments. But we have no intentions of keeping them, right? It's part of the way of the heart. It's certainly true of the southern way, you know. Oh, sure, we'll be there. <laughs> Which means there's no chance we're going, right? That's the, uh, the great reason for the maybe in the response. Maybe. Yes, no, maybe. Maybe. It means no in the South, always. But we, we make commitments, but we have no intentions of keeping them. It hurts our witness. We, uh, we love poorly. We have commitments to love. We have convictions to love. But when things get difficult, we're like the, uh, the parable of Good Samaritan. Remember the priest and the Levi, the religious people who vow to do justice and love mercy and take care of the, the foreigner and the alien. They have convictions and commitments, but they saw the man in the ditch. And stopping would interrupt their religious duties, and so they pass by. They pass by. Um, we smile. We're happy. Um, but we're quick to change our minds and slow to keep our promise. Um, it's actually one of the things that hurts our witness in the world. Um, the, the church uh, is viewed like the dishonest used car salesman, right? We're at lunch, or at, uh, we're at work, um, we're with our other uh, co-workers, and uh, we're sneaky, not in a godly way. We're we're untrue, we're unfaithful. There's an air of pretense that they, they see through us. Uh, we seem manipulative. We aren't committed often to our word. Our word is not our bond. Um, Solomon says this is what you can find at church. How you feeling? Feel good about being here today? You're looking around like, who am I, who's he talking about? Fools run among us. Um, the preacher wants us to know the dangers. Why, why does he share this? This, is, this will be brief, the second point, and the last point will be application. Why does he share this? Um, I think that's up there, yeah. One, he wants us to know, I think, um, that he's not naive. He knows the problems of the church. He knows them. He knows the problems. This isn't heaven. This is a temporary place. Um, we must not get sucked into thinking the church is as full of perfect people, that we have it all together. He's naming, this is what you're going to on Sunday night at 5 o'clock. Just know when you gather and you come in, you're walking into a group of people 
that are like this. Solomon names it. He knows it. And we don't uh, have to defend it or justify it or deny it and say, well, they do a lot of good things too. We just name it. It's a, it's a, it's a house of fools often. Um, we need to name that. You know, sometimes the church, uh, we, uh, we defend ourselves for our history. You know, uh, like Tim Keller talks about church history and the, the harm the church has done. Maybe it's the Crusades or maybe it's the white church uh, in the South during uh, segregation and, uh, or, you know, Jim Crow period. And, and they're either a blatant racism or the refusal to speak. And we justify, well, but they did these things right. We don't look honest because we don't name them. We lose credibility. Solomon gives us credibility to say, look, I know what we're getting into. You need to know what you're getting into. This is the church. This is church. Names it. But second, he also tells us this about the church so that we can learn that the presence of fools, even fools in God's name, does not imply the absence of God's work. Did you hear that? Just because we come to a gathering where fools are among us and in us doesn't mean that God's not still working with us. Um, though they're spiritually blind, arrogant, impatient, foolish talkers, Solomon is not advocating an abandoning of the church. Foolishness does not negate the true work of God. Jesus speaks about it in Matthew 13. He talks about the wheat and the tares, right? Or the wheat and the weeds. It's the good and the bad. He said we're all, they're going to grow up together till the end, till the harvest comes in. They will be a mixed bag together. We need to know that. You don't get one without the other in this life. Sometimes uh, the church, we think it's all wheat, right? It's all going to be good and perfect. The world looks at us and thinks it's all weeds, right? <laughs> all those religious hypocrite people. The truth of the matter, it's the wheat and the weeds, Right? We're together. We're together. It's the reality. So what's the what's the uh, what's the alternative? Finally, what what do we uh, how, if it's if we go to church among fools, um, what, what how do we do that? How do we go to church wisely? What's the alternative? Um, here's the basic premise, and I'll give you some applications. Is that we go to church in order to cultivate a new way of life that recovers what the house of God was meant to be. Um, one of the great successes of, I think, um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. In, his, in the civil rights movement, and you hear this throughout his ministry, but certainly during the, the mountaintop speech, was that he did not... Uh, go against uh, the founding documents. He didn't go against the, the Declaration or the Constitution, right? He didn't say, throw out that stuff. He said, we've actually failed to uphold the inalienable rights. We said it was for all, but you actually haven't held the standard. Let's hold up to the standard. He actually did the same thing with the Bible and the church. He didn't say, the Bible's been dismissed, throw it out. It's irreverent, irrelevant. He said, actually, the church has misused and abused the Bible. The Bible says this, let's hold to the standard. He called us to 
the standards that were already in place. So abuse doesn't negate proper use, right? Remember that phrase? It's a Latin phrase. I can never remember it. Maybe you know your Latin better than me. Abuse doesn't negate the proper use. The abuse of the church, the poor leadership of the church, the, the failings, the fools among us does not negate the proper use. And so we come back together to say, what is the standard? Let's cultivate a new way that recovers what church was supposed to be. Church is supposed to be. Church meaning our gathering, but church meaning the people. Three, three applications here from Solomon. What does that look like? How do, we, uh, how do we cultivate the way of life in the church? Well, one, it begins with a routine. And this is a bit of preaching to the choir here. It begins with showing up. Uh, again, Solomon's critique, harsh critique, critique does not imply at all a not going. He says in verse 1, guard yourself when you go to the house of God. Not if, not like, well, it's optional. When you go, be wise. You're going to encounter some things. Have discernment, but you're going. We develop rhythms and routines of worship that are the norm and pattern of our life. We show up, we learn, we grow. Often I found the most critical of the church are the people that are here the least, right? Isn't that true? Right? It's like the, the guy that knows nothing about football, you know, watches the game and critiques the coaching the whole time, right? He's never been in a game, he doesn't know anything about it. We love to do that. We do that in the church. So the first application is the routine of life show up. The, the Barna studies over the last 30 years show us that what was religious uh, attendance, faithfulness, uh, 30 years ago is, is drastically changed. You know, once or twice a month is sort of faithful today. I know, irrespective of COVID, um, there's a sense of we don't show up. And I think a part of it is, is uh, when we show up together, we cultivate a new way of life. It means we practice together. It means we don't know how to love very well. We're not very good. We're not very good at forgiveness. We're, we're not very good at being honest with our sin. We, we'd rather pretend. Uh, we'd rather point out others' faults. We're judgmental. We're not very good at it, so we show up week in, week out, so we can practice together. We can grow in grace and maturity. We have an opportunity. God gives us an opportunity, one in seven, to do it again and do it again. Now, if you, anything in life, if you're, if you're a swimmer, you, know, you, don't, you don't get better at swimming by sitting on the couch eating Cheetos, right? You get better at swimming by getting in the pool and, and trying and trying and trying again. And so we gather. When you go to the house of God, come back again. Confess your sin. Deal with conflict. Hear the Word. Be challenged. Ask questions. Wrestle with the Lord together. That we might grow in love and patience and forgiveness and grace. We're not going to grow in those things at the house. We're not going to grow at those things at the office. We're not going to grow at those things at, the, uh, at school for the most part. But we could grow here. We could grow here. Begins with routine. Second thing is we go to church in order to learn how to slow our tongues and quiet our hearts. Um. When we come to church on Sunday, it's, uh, it's, uh, 
it's such a powerful day because it's one day that God tries to undo the other six in our own hearts in some ways. We learn the, the, to be unhasty. We learn to be quiet. We learn to be slow. We learn to turn off the, the racing and the busy and the fear. It's a, it's a detox. We detox from the world, from the rash words of the world, from the constant talk and the little wisdom. We are apprenticed in the new way of life of Jesus. Jesus comes to teach us, to train us. What's it like? That's one reason we do the little quiet minute. It's one minute. But do you find it one minute hard to be still? Is it hard for your mind to be still? It is for me often. Because I've been so trained in the way of the world, and the hasty, and the busy, and the multitasking, the texting. It's constantly going. And there's very little time for reflection. There's time to be still before the Lord. So we come to church for the routine, but we come to learn. We learn humility. We learn to receive and to surrender. We come in the door not boasting when we walk in of our words, but to come to be still our hearts that we would receive from God as we sing, as we pray, as we hear the words, we partake, that our hearts are surrendered. It's submission. We come in submission, not to me, but to the Lord. We come and submit ourselves to learn it, to be changed. And I don't mean boring. We come to be boring and be still and be silent. Presbyterians, we're fairly boring people anyway. So it's not, it's not the matter of uh, can we clap or can we raise our hands. That's not the issue. It's our heart learns humility before the Lord. The final thing from Solomon. We show up and uh, we learn to quiet our tongues and to quiet our hearts. And finally, we cultivate a new way of life that revolves around worship. Um, that re- relates to the, the point before, but we don't come just to get information. This is not a lecture. This is not an hour of like good information. Some of us are note-takers, that's great, but we're not here just to get all the data down. It's not about changing the mind. It's about changing the heart. Certainly the mind and the heart work together, right? We're renewed in the mind. But we're not brains on a stick here, right? Um, it's not even about just the experience. It's about worship. It's not about learning some virtues. It's about worship. How do you approach uh, maybe your, your favorite uh, football team in the game, right? Or how do you approach the concert you get to go to, assuming we ever get to go to concerts again? Or, or your favorite movie or Netflix or whatever. You bring your whole self, right? You're, you're, you're all in. There's a sense of anticipation, a longing. We're here. We're excited. And we come to church like, ah. <sighs> I hope to see so-and-so. That'd be good to see him. You know, I really like that third song we're going to do. That's cool. There's no sense often of anticipation, of longing. But it says that we are to come to the house of God. House of God. Do we have that mindset? This is the house of God. It's, it's the temple with us. It's not quite the Old Testament way of, of an actual temple, a building where the Ark of the Covenant resided in the presence of the Lord. He, he resides in His people, so that happens when we gather together. But it happens uniquely when we come together to worship. 
Do we expect it? Do we come with that mindset? Is this sacred to you? Is this a sacred time? I hope it's sacred. Um, one of the things that, the, we're wrapping up here, one of the things that has uh, been recovered in the last, I don't know, 50 years of sort of modern evangelical stuff is that we, we talk about, uh, we, we've gotten away from the building, right? Which is, which is it's a good thing. Uh, I saw a, a, um, a little sign at a, church, a Christian coffee shop the other day. It says, the church has left the building, right? And, and so it's like, yeah, that's a good thing, right? It's, it's not about just here. Like, we're not contained here. When you leave, you're Christian, and you're going to carry the gospel with you as light and salt, wherever you may be, and that's a good thing, and that needs to be recovered uh, from, from a view that it's all about Sunday, it's all about this moment, and this is, your, this is it. Uh, live how you want six days, and you come here. And so it's a good thing we've recovered that, but the bad thing is that we've, we've minimized this space and this time together. There is a sacredness. We've downplayed the corporate worship. It's been demoted. It's been, um, even in the language when, uh, and, and I get COVID and the fear. I, I understand. I understand that. Um, but I remember the talks early on when it first happened about essential and non-essential. And certainly you'd say medical personnel, right, are essential in the middle of a pandemic. Um, but as we went on and on, that language of non-essential is so, it's so true of how we think about church and being with one another. I wonder how they felt in the Middle Ages, what was essential. It was essential the church found a way to be together, right? It's essential that we gather. It's essential that there's corporate worship because we're called to gather together to worship and to adore Him. It is the house of God. Sacred, not secondary, not optional. He says in verse 7, and we'll finish, For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. So we come to church knowing we're come with a bunch of sinners, a bunch of fools, including ourselves, knowing we come with all this baggage. But we didn't come for one another primarily. We came because we fear the Lord. And the biblical sense of fear is reverence, is awe. We bow down, we realize we are in the presence of something great and glorious, something other than us that we are not, and so we come with reverence. We bend the knee in our heart to the Lord. First Kings, when Solomon built the temple, it was a house of prayer, a house to commune with God. We go to be together for God, with God. Jesus in anger, what did he do? He turned over the tables of the moneylenders because he says what? My house is to be a house of prayer for all the nations. And you've made it a den of robbers. You've made it about man. You've made it about your systems. You've made it about your ways. It's primarily about coming together to commune with me as the people of God. To worship, to adore. If you're troubled about the hypocrisy of the church, then you should, if it's a good church, be hearing about the hypocrisy of the church in the church. Right? We should critique it. We should rebuke it. And you could say, amen. That's right. But be careful. <laughs> because the warning is for you. The warning is for me. If we treat the Lord's house lightly, if we treat the gathering lightly, the words of Solomon come back to us because we too have practiced in foolish ways, right? We too have come 
for far less than noble reasons before the Lord. So, know what you're getting into. Solomon, be wise when you come to church, but come. Be together. Find ways to gather. Um, Do it to learn humility. To learn what it means to be quiet. To learn what your heart needs to be still. To know you are the Lord. And when you know who the Lord is, it should move you to worship, to adore, to praise. Um, Many of us... uh, critique the church, and many of the church critiques are accurate, um, and they're right, Um, but some of them um, are wrong because we don't know what the intentions of the church are, the purposes of the church are. We think the church is the place um, of boasting, or self-advancement, or social clubs, right? We think the church is a place to network, here's my card, you know, kind of thing, um, it's, it gives us some status, um, but the church is a, is a hospital for sinners. It's for the sick. And so we come in that, in that mode, in that mindset, we know we're coming in and we're like, we're coming in the doors with a bunch of sick people. So much so that we're wearing masks, right? Because we know it's sick, we know it's messy. But if we come with that mindset, we know we come to draw near to God. We come with other sick people to confess and to name and to hear praise songs and to see the words and to say, yes, that's who he is. That's what my heart needs. That's the remedy. That's the medicine. That's the vaccine we need. It's the goodness of God, the glory of who he is. We praise. We sit, and then we, then we, we get quiet. We hear the word. And it penetrates. Despite the preacher, it penetrates. Despite our hearts, it penetrates. And then we eat a meal. And we learn the practice together. We learn. Come as a, as a hospital. Come uh, as a place uh, among fools. Fools around us, fools within us. And yet, a place where God works despite us for his glory. Let's have that perspective. Let's be that type of church. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. It is uh, living and active. It's challenging. Solomon, uh, he's, uh, he's not easy on us. He knows the truth. He names the truth. But he does it not that we would uh, run for where else will we go? Who else is the Savior? Where else is God's people? Where can we find the hope and encouragement of the gospel? Nowhere. So we've got to go to the broken place to try to find it. And Lord, when we come with that mindset, knowing the reality, we find you. You surprise us. It's weakness you show up in the brokenness. It's not boasting, it's humility. May we be a church with that mindset and that disposition. May it be so. Amen. Um. God wants us to know. He wants us to learn. So he learned, if you're in class, a good teacher, they, uh, they, they do the lesson and then they do, they do an object lesson, right? Science, there's experiments. They're in the lab so you can see it. And the kids can go, oh, that's how it works. I read it in the page. Didn't mean much, but now I see it take place. Uh, that's what the sacraments are in some form. Um, 
God says He uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And to the world, the gospel is the most foolish thing. It's the king, it's the God of the universe stepped down to come and to die to take sins and shame of fools. Uh, God didn't die for us because we had it together. He didn't die for us because the church was this pristine place where we're all morally superior to everyone else out there. We have it all together. He died for us because we're fools and we're strugglers. Yeah, as we sang earlier, He loves us. He loves us. It's true.